Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. All right, welcome back to the next edition of Go and Make. Brian Miller, Director of Evangelization and Discipleship for the Archdiocese here. And this week I am joined by Father Brian Fallon. Hello. Hello, Father <laughs> Fallon. That's great. It was really well done. You leaned into the microphone nicely there. Uh, Father, Father Fallon is the Director of Vocations for the Archdiocese, as well as the Chaplain of the Catholic Student Center at Washington University. As well as all-around good guy. And all-around good guy. Yes, exactly. So we are really excited that you're here with us. Thank you. Happy to be here. Go and makes doing some good stuff around the diocese, kind of poking at some conversations, helping us to grow. So thanks for this space. Yeah, it's been really fun. Uh, we get, you know, feedback from time to time. Uh which reminds me, if anyone wants to leave us feedback, uh, please do. You can email us at evangelization at archstl.org. Um, you can rate us on the Apple iTunes store for podcasts, which we would love. We have good ratings, but the the, the only comment on there is maybe not so positive. So we would love some more uh, positive reviews to help people know that there's good stuff going on here. So, But it was cool. I was talking to, um, to Jared Bryson recently. He was on an earlier episode. Uh, Dr. Jared Bryson, president of Catholic Charities. And he said, yeah, someone was asking me some questions about, you know, service and evangelization. He's like, and I just sent him the link of the recording because it was easier than having this back and forth email conversation because it was a great summary of what he's trying to do in, in service and evangelization. So that's really the goal of these podcasts is to become a reference point for people uh, and, and conversation starters around how are we living this day to day? And it's a great, you know, I love the podcast medium because it's a great chance to break open, um, you know, different things. Like you write for the St. Louis Review sometimes answering different questions. I write different articles and stuff. And that, that's that's a good medium to, to do that and, and to, to try to shape the conversation that way. But being able to break it open uh, with different people in different places has been really a, a great joy. Yeah, the whole what is evangelization can kind of be this overarching question that we're all asking, especially in light of all things new. And so the more we can just continue to have resources and remind people of how to engage and to maybe rethink how we are witnesses to the gospel. Yeah. Spaces like this make that possible. I describe our project often of, of go and make and different videos and whatever we're doing is that we're trying to create a Catholic imagination for evangelization. Because most people in our pews, wherever, in our, in, our, uh, in our parish offices, like we just don't even know what's possible. So you hear an idea or you hear something, you say, I can do that or I see myself in that. And it's been, um, I think it's working because the conversations I'm having at parishes and with parish leaders now are different than they were two years ago before we started this big journey of trying to figure out. Uh, the best way to serve and evangelize in the archdiocese. So, Willy Wonka's pure imagination has been playing in my head since you said Catholic, Catholic imagination. imagination. Can so. you sing it for us? No, <laughs> I, not gonna, I will not. not no, I'm not warmed there. up. So, yeah, yeah, it's a great. But, yeah. but even just yeah, rethinking and how do we maybe think outside of the box of the uh, as the Archbishop has said that that old model of brick and mortar and think more about souls and bringing people closer to Jesus and. Be doing that in a unique way, I think, is something that maybe looks Wonka-ish uh, to some people, but 
Why not? It's a happy ending at the end. I'm thinking <laughs> of the original Wonka, okay? Like, I, I don't have time for the other I don't think remakes. I've seen the new one. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw the shows and in theaters. That's, yeah. Is that the, your... The, the Timothy yeah. Chalamet. Uh, I'll pass on that. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as, as is our custom, uh, Father, we tend to ask people, tell us about your faith story. So again, when there's a priest in the chair... It can quickly become your vocation story. I don't want your vocation story. We can talk about vocations later. You have some things to say about that. But really, how did you meet and fall in love with Jesus? Where is that in your life? Yeah, I use the image of a big ship, a big wooden ship that was already built. It's like, oh, great. Thank you. And then I walked inside with the Lord and it was hollow. And I thought, oh, well, we got to put some stuff in here. And he said, yeah, Brian, like it's us journeying together. Like I gave you the gift of faith and I gave you this great Catholic environment to be able to have a parish and Catholic education and to have youth ministry and uh, to have a clear understanding of your call to seminary. But in the middle of that, I want to give context to it. That's unique to you. I want to be able to provide healing and perspective and joy and perseverance through sorrows. And so kind of using that image as a whole, I, I've just thought over the different stages of my life, how Jesus has been filling it specifically with me and purposefully being able to use those graces to help other people. I look back at, you know, sixth grade when we were praying at church and I recognized that I was really trying to pray really hard, but I, I really didn't know what I was doing. And the teachers being able to help us to put words to what we were actually going through, not just our fathers and Hail Marys, as important as those are, but to be able to ask specifically for different things. Remember the Luke 18 retreat that we put on uh, in the year 2000? <laughs> and I won't sing that either. Uh, but in the middle of that retreat, just recognizing everyone was really sad and I, I didn't recognize why I should be sad and just kind of like, you know, wanted to like throw a little holy water on my face to look like everybody else, but it kind of coming to a deeper recognition of, what things I have to be sorry for or ways in which the Lord is stretching me and inviting me to grow. So those kind of early moments uh, were really impactful for my faith because then I got to not just choose to be engaged and sort of checking something off on a box, but to allow the faith to become something personal, a journey with Jesus and not just going through the structure and the routine. And in that, he just kept calling you a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, and, and it eventually led you to say yes to, well, first seminary, right? Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, message to all the sinners. You don't, you don't say yes to the priesthood on day one, right? You say yes to being open to and discerning in the context of seminary. Right, yeah. I recognized very quickly that the correct answer wasn't, I am 100% convinced I'm supposed to be a priest. It's, I'm 100% open to be who God is calling me to be in this state in life. And there was a lot of freedom in that, that the seminary didn't expect me to be all figured out. And instead, I could actually reveal the areas of my life that weren't perfect, where I was struggling, and to be able to be formed to look more like Christ Jesus instead of just being somebody that's all buttoned up and tidy and not really letting the Lord in. Well, and there's a great analogy there for evangelization, too, because as we go out to evangelize people, which sounds like we're, you know, we're doing the work, like, you know, we need to go and make disciples, but the Holy Spirit's the one that does conversion. Uh, so we set our sights on someone and we say, like, you know, we want to close the deal on day one. We want to have the winning conversation or whatever. When in reality is we need to figure out what's their first step and then what's the next step. 
and then what's the next step and uh just to trust that the holy spirit's going to move in their life and that uh, we can discern help them discern that path towards knowing the lord it's just one step at a time and i think that uh, you know, I was talking with Ed Hogan once, and he was working with folks in lay formation, the lay formation program, which does such great work here across the archdiocese. And he had a guy who who said, well, okay, I've done lay formation, and I've done, uh, you know, I've, I've studied this, and I've taken this class, and I've done this formation, I've done that. You know, what am I going to need to be ready to evangelize? And Ed was like, dude, you have all the knowledge in the world uh, and, it, and that you're going to need. Now you, we can always know more. We can always love the Lord more perfectly. And he's just said, I don't think Ed Hogan said dude, because Ed probably doesn't say dude. <laughs> probably not. Yeah. Um, but he said, sir, you have everything you need to start because you're never going to know enough. So just go start and go fail and go evangelize maybe poorly initially and learn from it and grow from it and just get in the game. So what you need to do is just to build the relationship. So it's the same way with, with discernment and vocations. It's just one yes at a time that can eventually, you just continue to respond to where the Lord is, is calling you. I think a great example in my childhood of this was Father Joe Kempf, who was the associate pastor at Holy Infant in Baldwin. And we don't have a mascot. I was going to say go shamrocks, but yeah, some, <laughs> someone forward this to father Joe <laughs> right. afterwards as well. Yeah. So, you know, well, shout out. It was very instrumental in, in my call story, but what he was doing in the parish was just getting a bunch of people to come together and to learn more about Jesus. He had a program called faith family style where a bunch of people would come together. We had mass at bluebird park and mass in a park. Oh, wow. Like, not just on the soccer field. Not just on the, the soccer parish. field. Yeah. yeah, it was wonderful. And and in the middle of that, he was able to help the adults of the parish to have these small groups after Christ renews his parish. And uh, my parents had uh, both a men's and a woman's one. And it was neat to see 12 adults in the house breaking open the word and just asking good questions and journeying together. I think sometimes we are so focused on evangelization and going out, but we first forget about the people that are already in the pews and helping them to be able to understand their own faith story, to have a place for their own questions, to be able to journey with them in knowledge of love of God, not just in some sort of book report level uh, context, but to be able to really experience the living word and, and how God's loving them in it and then being able to be sent out. So hopefully we can have more examples of that, like Father Joe, whose joy was just really infectious and brought a lot of people to Jesus in, in spite of all the hardships of, of the world. Yeah, it's tricky because, I, you know, talking about evangelization, sometimes we spend so much time doing that internal work that we never make it out. We never make it out to the world. We never, we never go do the other part. And I think it's just as constant kind of checks and balances and living in that tension because you know, you're never going to be ready. We're never going to have our house in order enough to, to, to go invite people back into it and, and all those things. Um, but we still have to go. And I think that, you know, as I, as I like think and pray a lot about evangelization and where we are, a lot of what we have to do is just, we have to have kind of a pulse on our fruitfulness. So it's not just like, okay, are we focusing our energy internally? Are we doing that? But okay, well, is it bearing fruit? Is there more internal fruit because we're gathering more families and more people who have that heart for evangelization and that vision for what the church needs to be, who then eventually are going out and, and, and bearing fruit out there too. And um, I mean, I think a lot about 
the success in evangelization comes down to accountability. Uh, and it's accountability about like, who is God calling us to be? And are we living up to that? It's not, you know, the diocese has 17 metrics of fruitfulness and we're going to measure them all. Uh, we should do some of those things sometimes, but it's really just uh, an internal reflection, like an examine almost of, of where is the Lord bearing fruit in my life? And if we can't answer that, well, then we're going to have uh, a hard time evangelizing so we don't have much to give. Yeah, all of that is exhausting, <laughs> just to be <laughs> honest. Just the, And then you, you look at different resources, and, and they're very like helpful to be able to have a better understanding of how to spread the word. But at the end of the day, you just think about who's the person in the cubicle next to you and just to be nice to them. And as you're nice to them, to share a little bit about who you are, and you don't have to give them a Bible on their birthday. You can just be able to talk to them about what's hard in their life. And when they understand that Jesus is the one who supports everything that you do, he's the light of your life, maybe they'll come to know Jesus too. We do this with music all the time. You and I will share songs with some of our buddies and like, oh yeah, I really like this artist. And it's expanded my a whole repertoire of music to be able to listen to something else that somebody enjoys. And part of the reason I do it is because, oh, I know that you like that. Well, maybe I'll like it too. So if we purpose Jesus in this way and propose him to people and say, like, oh, well, they seem relatively normal. You I know? didn't even know it was possible to like this type of music. I right. mean, some, some of your musical tastes are a little more eclectic sometimes than mine, you know? Yeah. You know, just, I, I wasn't very familiar with Wolf Peck before, <laughs> before right. I knew you, but, uh, after going to some different talks and, and things, uh, sure, Wolf sure. Peck is now expanded your horizon, expanded yes. my horizons. And it's, it's really, uh, it's great. It's good. It's enjoyable. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what evangelization is. It's it's what do you love, and then how can other people see themselves in that or experience it themselves too? It's great. Um, so all that we see, I get off te- I get off topic very quickly or easily sometimes. So there was let, a topic where we yeah are we we have a topic. No, uh, we're gonna keep talking about your story a little bit. So so you were ordained a priest. You eventually got to the point where you said yes. Indeed. I said present at ordination. And the church said my yes name. to you as mm-hmm. well, which is uh, an important part of discernment that it's mutual. It's, it's the church and the man. And that's for all of ministry, not just the man, but the church and the individual kind of discern together. It's really important, uh, a piece of our ministry. But um, so tell us about your assignments. Where have you been? You know, shout outs to all the different parishes and, and, and places sure. you serve along the way. Sure. Oh, yeah. All my all my people. Queen of All Saints was where I was assigned right after ordination. And Parking lot gang represent. <laughs> there, some of the Oakville youth uh, like to hang out and I'd go out and just talk to them and <laughs> I wouldn't read the word at them or just say, Hey, be safe, you know? And, and then some of the youth group kids just playing street hockey and enjoying time with them. Yeah. And, and a lot of great, uh, married couples and single couples and elder couples and a lot of youth who just, uh, had chosen to come and make that parish a part of their life and to allow worship to be a part of that. So it was just great. It was a really wonderful first assignment, uh, with Monsignor Simon, who, was very patient and understanding uh, from this young buck who was filled with a lot of zeal and just helped me to find prudence in the midst of ministry. Uh, it was a lot of things that happened there that were peaks and valleys, you know, being with someone who was actively dying and then uh, going to the school right after that or uh, having the funeral of the spouse that everybody else thought would outlast her husband and, and just kind of the tragedies and the sorrows of those things, but also the tremendous joys just the laughter of children and being a part of that and just being silly and 
being their father in a spiritual way. It was, it was a really good assignment. So yeah, I went from there to uh, begin vocation ministry. I lived with Archbishop Carlson at his residence. Uh, he called it his starter castle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just learning life from him w- was a real blessing and uh, was an unusual assignment in the sense that uh, the ministry was uh, geared primarily towards a non-permanent assignment. So I would go out to all these parishes throughout the diocese in the initial years and just kind of getting to know parishes and schools. And it would be weird to go from one mass and give a vocation talk to one group of students and then to go to the next parish and give the same vocation talk, but to a totally different congregation, totally different part of the diocese. So uh, that was hard at first to just kind of not have roots in, in a parish where I had always kind of understood ministry to be, uh, but the Lord was stretching me with that and, and helping me to learn that my ministry is not just geared towards doing things as a functionary, uh, but being his priest and just kind of noticing him calling me deeper in that. So uh, then I uh, was blessed to be the administrator and pastor at St. Elizabeth of Hungary in Crestwood, uh, now St. Elizabeth, St. Raymond's, uh, the, the Maronites taking uh, that parish and, and doing good things with it. Uh, three years where I learned a lot about um, let's say pastor duties, uh, <laughs> wrenches and all the fun things. Yeah. Water and, rodents and and all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. Gratefully, we had a wonderful finance council and, uh, yeah, unfortunately moved, uh, in the middle of, uh, lockdown, uh, from, from that parish. So it was kind of a, uh, truncated goodbye, but still love those people very much. And then went on to St. Mary Magdalene on Kings highway. Uh, as I, uh, yeah, people would say, Oh, we love Brentwood. Like, well, no, there's, there's also another Mary Magdalene and church of the Magdalene church of the Magdalene. Yeah. Unofficially titled, unofficially titled. It was the original name of the parish. So, uh, we just kind of brought it back a little bit. Yeah. 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 Repurposed it. And, uh, and, and what was beautiful about that parish and, and is beautiful about it is uh, it still exists in a subsumed way with the other parishes around it is that the people who had made that parish and who continued to invest in it really gave me permission to dream with them about what their parish could continue to be for South City. And different than the other parishes surrounding it, both uh, socioeconomically and both uh, in terms of not having a school anymore, a ton of young adults in the area, and just really able to invest in them and to invest in the people that would come back, uh, who'd called Mary Magdalene their home for several decades, and also the the mainstay, uh, the daily mass goers who uh, would would keep walking faithfully, even in the ice and snow, uh, to be there with Jesus, and taught me a lot about piety and in the genuine sense and, and real humility, uh, just how proud they were of their parish. So those have been my assignments up until uh, July, where I was named the chaplain at uh, Wash U at the Catholic Student Center. So it's my freshman year. Working with college students. There yeah. you go. Yeah. They're so great. Uh, yeah. Working on the freshman 15 I gonna, too. I was going to, I wasn't going to say anything. No, you look great. You look great. <laughs> but it's uh, but it is fun because it's totally different and yet exactly the same in terms of ministry. It's uh, Jim Jansen has a, a, a new book out called clear path. Uh, and, and he talks about uh, the, the need for pre trust in order to get to trust mm. and then, and then openness. And then eventually the decision that someone makes to be a disciple of Jesus. And I, I've just been fascinated on that pre-trust because that's where I'm at right now with many of the students 
like so nice to meet you and just kind of joking with them a little bit or and like, wow, biochem. I have no idea what that yeah, is. Way and, over my, right. you are way smarter than me. All of you. Right. Yeah. And, and yet you are so humble enough to have questions and look, I don't understand this church teaching or how do you deepen your understanding of prayer? And, and I have those answers because I've been journeying in those myself. And it's just great to be a father uh, to this community of real, real good kids, yeah. good believers. Jim Jansen is great. He's uh his evangelization and pastoral ministry up in Omaha. And, and really this whole podcast is basically a ripoff of their podcast <laughs> up in Omaha. It's called the equip cast. Highly recommend you check it out. Um, <laughs> leave a review that's favorable. Leave, leave them a really mean review. No, uh, please don't do that. That'd be great. Um, and Jim's an old friend of mine from the focus days and, and a lot of our, um, our, our work is influenced by the work of focus and the way they do discipleship, but then trying to figure out, okay, what does it look like in a, in a parish context? What does it look like? in a diocesan context. And I think that kind of going back to your time at, at Church of the Magdalene, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things I really admired about your assignment there is as you went in and it was, again, it was coming out of COVID. It was an older parish and a lot had changed. You know, in the 1950s, it was one of the biggest booming parishes in the archdiocese. They had teen town, people had the dances and all the different things going on. And it just, it wasn't that anymore. And it was in kind of a rough, uh, rough spot just coming out of COVID. And, and you kind of went into a spot that had um, a blank slate in a lot of ways, because there wasn't, you wasn't going into a big suburban parish with a million activities and just trying to keep it going and, and make it a little bit better. It was, it's okay, sky's a limit. And um, I thought about like what we wanted to talk about today a little bit was just this idea of pastoral creativity hmm. and, and trying to figure out, okay, you know, the sacraments are the sacraments and the teachings of the church are that, but that pre-trust and pre-evangelization that you just talked about with college students, we have to do the exact same thing in our parishes. And we have, you know, we've got our, our mass going folks in parishes. We know in the archdiocese, um, you know, pre-COVID, it was like 27% almost of people went to, to mass. Now it's probably closer to 20, I want to say. Um, on that, I'd have to look at the numbers, but I think it's about 20% across the archdiocese. So we, we know, and we can reach those people and we have to help those people fall deeper in love with Jesus and do what you were talking about earlier that, that father Joe did really, really have that awakening of their own spiritual life and desire too. Um, but then also we have to realize, okay, we have all the people on the books who aren't coming to mass too. And we also have like the neighborhood that we're planted in. And I think you did a really great job with your team of just trying to figure out, okay, who are the people that we're trying to reach? Yeah, uh, really keep smiling just thinking about how much fun it was to try things. And part of that was because of, like you said, a blank slate. And there were some things that were done very well, a wonderful food pantry, uh, some wonderful events on the calendar that, you know, just kind of continue to respect and, and allow them to be what they had been for, for many years, the craft fair being the, the biggest one. Uh, and just wondering how do we allow these events where all of these people come into our space to be places of encounter. Hey, nice to meet you. Oh yeah. You like that craft? Yes. Yeah, it's really good artist. And Hey, I'm, I'm father Brian. Nice to meet you. And, and just allowing that to be a place where maybe they'll come back. 
you know, some of the creative things that we did, uh, our pastoral associate, Jen Ryan, uh, really was a big executor of all of these things was, uh, our, first of all, the decade dance, uh, you and your family were able to make oh, it man, down. My kids love the decade. Dance. <laughs> we're at 5 PM. We played fifties music, 6 PM, sixties music all the way up till, uh, we blew the speakers at 9 PM. <laughs> Got a little wild in the nineties. <laughs> awesome. right. Yeah. How bizarre. Yeah. Uh, but in the middle of that, just how fun it was to have, uh, what focus so beautifully describes as a win event. You know, we didn't stop the music for a prayer, but it was understood that this is a place where we can gather and we can experience joy. It was all above board. It was a beautiful rated G event. But then hopefully somebody going to that could recognize some of the materials that we had around there. Oh, there, this is an active parish. This is a vibrant parish. There's a Bible study that I can join on Sundays in between the masses. Or I can come and be able to learn a little bit more about faith sharing groups th during the week. And these little ways in which we can have what are build events in terms of formation really help people who, and I think this is the case of many parishes, but especially Magdalene, who've been so faithful to the discipline of faith, but had never really had a space where they could ask the deeper questions. What is Paul saying when he says these tough things, whether it's Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, whatever, what's the context in which he's doing these things? Oh, he's a tent maker who comes into the town and starts making his tents next to people and says, Hey, how are you? My name's Paul. I used to be Saul and here's my story. And then all of a sudden, all these people are listening to him because he's filled with this truth that they've never experienced before. And then as he writes these letters to them, he's doing so kind of as a love story. Like you're, you're my children. I want to pass this on to you. So just even the, the sense of creativity on how do we continue to bring people together, not the same people that are, are already committed, but how do we get that next group that, that have important questions that are curious, how do we get them, invite them in to have a little bit more formation? Okay, we interrupt this broadcast for a commercial. Now, we haven't done this a lot on the Go and Make show, but this is important. The Office of Youth Ministry has a program called Totus Tuus, and Totus Tuus needs missionaries. It's a summer catechetical program. They travel around the archdiocese, and our guest today, Father Brian Fallon. Yo. Sends seminarians to Totus Tuus because it's such a great formational opportunity. Totus Tuus has been transformative for some of our seminarians who have spent time parish to parish spreading the great word, uh, working with youth and being able to help them and along with other young adults to experience God's love and to be totally yours as John Paul II made his motto as he gave himself completely to our Lord and our Lady. That's what totus tuus means, totally yours. And uh, this job opportunity of being a totus tuus missionary could be totally yours today. So if you know someone, if you know a young person, maybe a college student uh, who's looking for a summer opportunity, it's a paid gig to be a totus tuus missionary. Uh, they sign up, they receive formation and training, and then they're sent all around the archdiocese to bring God's love to young people. It's a great opportunity of formation. I had a lot of friends who did it throughout college. They loved it, the, the team building, the community, the bonding. It's a great opportunity. So if you know someone who wants to be a totus tuus missionary, send them to stlyouth.org. So stlyouth.org, learn more about becoming a totus tuus summer missionary. Yeah, you talked about your your target audience in the neighborhood as you yeah. go on walks in the evening. Uh, 
was uh, dog walkers. You said cohabiting dog walkers, most likely, <laughs> right? Like, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, not, you know, but just that that's who lived in South City. It, there's affordable starter homes. Folks who, if they're not attending church, maybe they're not living all the, the values of the church. And those are a lot of people in the neighborhood. So how do we go out and be a witness to them? It's by having things that maybe people wouldn't expect to be, you know, that the church would even offer. Yeah, we had another event called the Tree Tour. Uh, we had some parishioners who work for uh, some of the, uh, I, I would say, the environmental groups around the diocese or around St. Louis. And so we used their expertise and kind of went from uh, different watering holes in between and, and had a different uh, root flares and, and different trees that we were able to see along the, along the route. And it was a really simple, fun kind of thing. And what was so beautiful about some of the dog walkers or other people is that, Hey, what are you guys doing? We're like, Oh, we're on a tree tour. Do you want to join us? <laughs> people just Start in the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. It's the perfect kind of thing. And that's, I, that's what's so beautiful about South city is just the, you know, uniqueness of it, but also, uh, it's kind of a n- unpretentious place where people just want to gather together. And I think wherever you live in the neighborhood or throughout the diocese, people are looking for community people are looking for connection and they're, they're craving that. Why can't the church be a place to provide those types of things? We did a dog blessing for the dog walkers and it was really neat to learn the dog's names and to give them a little blessing around the feast of St. Francis. These things are not that hard. They require a lot of effort Mm -hmm. and thinking outside of the box, but we had people who came to church or who came to some of our other events and some of our uh, different gatherings because of those invitations, because we'd put a flyer up in the coffee shop down the street. Uh, And sometimes I'd walk up to the coffee shop between masses and have the collar on and just say hi to people. uh, Incidentally enough, that this one coffee shop was the first location of our parish. So uh, like where where the church was first uh, established. So I I think in in those ways, um, we can do this. You don't have to be a priest or a sister to do that as well. And it really, it goes down to, again, it's the disposition of the people in the parish too, that when those people show up who maybe don't, like, who haven't been here, they say, well, where have you been? That's not what we want to say to them. We want to say like, oh, we've got a spot for you. And uh, we have a program that might actually help you take the next step. And that's what, so Jim Jansen talked about in that book, The Clear Path is, it's okay, you can go out and find them and get them and start to bring them back. But what's next? What's the next step on that journey? Well, wasn't that Catholics come home, right? The yeah. experience, of, you know, early uh, in my seminary days, it was like 2004, 2005, wonderful appeal, great commercials about who we are as Catholics and we're the largest charitable organization in the world and, and all of these different things that were really convincing on why we should come back to church. But when everybody came back to church, they saw the same things and there wasn't anything new that we were proposing to them or there wasn't anything that we were doing to help them deepen their faith. It was more just shoving a collection basket. Here we are. Yeah, yeah. We've been missing your envelope. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. so I always we, say we, we invited them back and reminded them why they left. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're learning our lesson from that because this is different from any other era that we've had in the history of the church because we had this whole established, wonderful, beautiful church. And then because of the, I don't know, idea of the age or just because we, we didn't continue to help people deepen their faith and because we didn't teach them the beauty of the Eucharist and the goodness of it, or we didn't teach them about healing or about deeper intimacy with Jesus, 
they went for something else and it's, it's hard to do these things. So we need each other to be able to, to journey and to reinforce that great faith that we've been given. You know, one of our core things we talk about is understanding the moment we live in. And we talk a lot about the Christendom to apostolic mission shift happening in the church. But, but one area of the moment we don't talk enough about, I think too, is just that we are just responding to cultural shift overall. So yeah, we didn't always teach the faith well, and, and we were a bit of a mess sometimes coming out of the council on catechesis or different things. Like that, we've missed some opportunities. But if you look at every mainline Protestant denomination, if you look at um, even evangelical Christianity, they're all declining at the same or more rapid rate than the Catholic Church is. So what we're facing is not a uniquely Catholic problem, but but really we're all trying to understand and respond to a culture that is becoming increasingly post-Christian. Yeah, you and I have been down to the soccer park and being able to see uh, finally to have an MLS team great, that yeah. did really well this year and to be swept away by the enormity of it, the intensity of the passion that people have for this sport uh, is pretty impressive. And you can see the same thing at Bush or you can see the same thing down at the Enterprise Center and go Battlehawks, you know, whatever, but just, <laughs> right, but, yeah. but in the middle of that uh, to recognize that those things fade away uh, and, and those things, as, as we saw uh, City not make it past Kansas City in the playoffs, like, OK, like the, the real disappointment of that leaves us wanting more. And, and I think even just part of the proposal that we have, we can't compete with those in a secular way in the terms of like the razzle dazzle, you know, and some of the fanfare. Like there's there's no way we can do that. I'm not proposing that. But what I am proposing is how do we in this moment, as you speak of it, how do we propose to them something that's long lasting, you know, that is able to help us to ride the waves of disappointment or great joys and to recognize that Jesus is a constant who wants to continue to deepen us and strengthen us. That's going to require some convincing because maybe your favorite soccer team is playing right during mass time, you know, but that's, that's okay. Maybe we can make some sacrifices and recognize that I'm looking for something deeper than just soccer. Well, and you mentioned earlier the need for a community and just like this longing that, that people are lonely and they're isolated in an era where we're more connected than ever via technology. We're also unknown mm -hmm. personally. And, and, uh, I think I wrote an article about this in the review. Um, but I went down to the soccer stadium for my first game and I, I saw someone I knew who I knew their life was kind of a mess. And I saw them marching in this fan parade, beating their drums, singing the chants. And I know that they were disconnected from church and disconnected from community. I know that their family life was, was, was a train wreck. And what he found was community that accepted him and knew him and loved him and kind of gave him a purpose. And I just, I got, it, it kind of broke me in some ways. I thought this guy needs that in the church, but I didn't invite him. I mean, I don't know him particularly well, but like I didn't invite him to that. I don't know if anyone has really made that invitation all the way. So it's just like we, we see like what the, what the secular community, sometimes they're trying to rebuild this identity and understanding around all these other things that will fade away. And, and we need to make those same spaces and invitations to give people that sense of purpose and belonging and, and mission that their, their work is valued and they're important. And they have a place here in our communities. One of the things at the Catholic Student Center that has totally impressed me and blown me away are the core communities that the students and our non-student population have uh, where they gather together once a week and most of our students are reading the scriptures for next Sunday. 
And as they do these Bible studies, they're asking tough questions. Uh, why does Jesus not stay in the town and village? Why does he go on to the next place? Or why do they not appreciate what Jesus is doing? And again, they're asking the deeper questions, not just the context of the, the reading, but how it relates to their lives. And what's been so beautiful and fruitful about these core communities is that there's a lot of student groups on campus, but people are coming to these groups and making time for them in their busy calendar schedule is to be able to find acceptance and belonging and to be able to know that as they're journeying with these people throughout the course of a semester, and some of these groups staying on year after year, that they're given a model to follow that will help them post-graduation. You know, I've been telling some of the seniors, won't it be great if you go on to grad school somewhere else or if you start working that you find another parish community, even if it's not a vibrant one, and you just gather people around you and you have a meal and you talk about Jesus and what's good about life and what's not. I think it's not the it same. It sounds very doable. It sounds doable, yeah, right. And right. you're not banging drums and you're not in the procession into the stadium, but you do have people to journey through life with and have that meaning that's far more than just getting through another day or something empty on a phone that is never really going to satisfy us. That's why they call it doom scrolling, everyone, right? Yeah, that's right. And so recognizing in that way that we're really building something in the apostolic age that isn't brick and mortar, that isn't based on just one sort of physical plant, but it's something that is pointing to forever and long-lasting happiness. Well, and it requires taking a risk. You know, it requires a little bit of vulnerability and putting yourself out there, too. And that, you know, the, the comfortable and the easy thing is to doom scroll and to look back at, like, the people you know or the things you want to learn about or do, and you're just like, okay, I, this is, you know, online. It's, it's safe in a lot of ways. And if I'm going to get involved in people's real lives, uh, it's messy. And, and my life is messy, and I don't want to share that. I'd rather share online what I want people to think my life is sometimes. In the World War, Second World War, FDR uh, said as we had to get into the battle in the terms of the response, I was just watching this documentary. Again, I love 20th century history. Uh, <laughs> thank you, education system of Catholic education for <laughs> inspiring me in this way. Uh, but he, he put out this ridiculous quota of new airplanes. I think it was 50,000 a year. And that was far more than they had ever been able to have the capacity to do. But he just said, we need to do these things in order to defeat this evil. And so just having this boldness to be able to promulgate that. Sure, that's the executive saying it in wartime, but why can't we just decide that we're going to do tough things and we're really going to put our effort collectively? If you believe in Jesus, if Jesus is important to you, are you willing to put him first and the cause of bringing other people? That doesn't always mean knocking on doors, but maybe it does in some instances. You know, maybe it does just mean getting out of your comfort zone and, and being able to reach out to other people. Maybe let's, audacious, but yeah, pretty heroic. Okay, so let's tie that into your other full-time job, vocation director. Love it. Um, let's let's set some goals. No, but you've done this, right? Because you said you, you guys looked at the numbers, you crunched the data. You said if we can get 17 guys into seminary every year, uh, some of them aren't going to be called, some of them aren't going to make it through normal rates of, of you know, just... Uh, not matriculation. What's the opposite of matriculation? Oh, just stepping out of formation. Yeah, people yeah. step out, right? Just as normal normal rates of doing that. That, that you would probably have enough guys at that point to to fill the gap we need on terms of priests. We talk a lot about shortages of priests and and, and trying to make sure we have enough moving forward. So, um, 
that work is not your work. Yeah, that's a tough thing. <laughs> I, I think your, your work is to get them accepted into seminary. Yes, yes. So what's what's so hard about and again, we're, this is the moment that we're in. The Christendom age was one in which it was very noticeable who could and who was going to seminary. And they were formed in a system that was helpful and fruitful. And it was just more commonplace that guys would go to seminary. Now with fewer children and fewer disciples, I think that's the emphasis too, the pool from which we have viable candidates to enter seminary is a lot smaller. And we're not going to lower our standards of good priest just to fill some quota. That's not going to help. They did anybody. that for you already. Yeah, no, no. No, well, no, GPA wise, they're like, oh, maybe that math score is not as high, but he's got a finance council for that. We'll That's be fine. Right. 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 But when you but when you recognize it as that and to say, then the vocation director's job is to do a couple things. One, find who those disciples are and then journeying with them in discernment with the church, then he and the man can make the decision along with the seminary to which we send, Kenner Glennon, go Lions, that if we do that, then that's the beginning of the process of preparation for the priesthood. You know, the, the gift that we have in the church is that we don't have to have an 18-year-old be completely sure about becoming a priest. A lot of guys think that that's the case. Or a 22-year-old who's coming out of college, say Benedictine, your alma mater, yeah. at, as he's doing so, he doesn't have to be 100% sure that he's called to this, but he does need to be willing to sacrifice. Can he give himself to the church for a period of time to come to a better understanding of who he is and how God is leading him? I think in that way, we start to see more and more numbers. But before any of that happens, where are the disciples? You know, where are the young men who maybe are just kind of caught up into the moment of the world and, and maybe the discouragement that comes and what does it mean to be a young man of faith? The same thing with the religious sisters, right? What does it mean to be a young woman who might be called to be a bride of Christ, to be called particularly to her own? There's a lot of people telling women who to be too, and there's a lot of fear that can come up in that. And, and what does it mean to be a parent who has a child who has found the gift of faith that you presented them to be able to receive? What does it mean to support them, not pressure them? But to be able to create an I'm environment. I'm here telling my my boys all the time, like, you know, you could be a priest. It'd be a great life. You know, yeah. my, my third grader wants to be either a uh, a priest, an NBA player, or a comedian. I was like, you could probably do two out of three of those. Yeah, you know? yeah. You, you if know. you got game, you could <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> dunk for the Lord. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to be a journalist, a storm chaser, an architect, and a priest, but not in that order. I told mom in our fifth grade dare essay that I wanted to be a priest, but I put architect and don't tell anyone. <laughs> and, and my parents, you know, it's not like we were levitating and all, all of this stuff. And with our halos, we, we were just ordinary Catholics trying to do well. And, and they created an environment where that was a possibility. I wasn't shot down at the first. I'm like, no, 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 I, I need grandbabies, you know, and there's a sacrifice in that. We're still waiting for some grandbabies and they're going to be on their way someday, but not for me. Uh, but, <laughs> but in the moment, but in the moment of that, to, to recognize that as we see the fostering of vocations, the vocation director comes 
down in that process farther down the line as a part of that process after the pastor, after the associate, after the school teachers and the coaches, after the people in the neighborhood have said, Timmy, you're a good young lad. You know, maybe you should think about being a priest. And I'm thinking of Cardinal Dolan because that's part of his vocation story is just being encouraged uh, as a young kid in Baldwin of what it is to follow Jesus and that he was able to respond and, and made the decision to go to seminary and was able to find conviction in his call there. Yeah, we need every uh, every pastor, every associate pastor, every mom and dad, every youth minister, every teacher. I mean, it's, it's really the whole community. They're all vocation directors mm -hmm. in, in the way that we tend to think of it, right? Because we tend to think what's well, a vocations director's job to get people into seminary and to find them and to tell them and help them figure out that's what they're doing and where they're called. And really, it's all of our job to help I'm, I'm just, to, just to develop the space in our lives to hear the voice of God. And again, like, hey, speaking of Catholic imagination, like God has a plan for you that's bigger than anything you could ever imagine or even maybe a desire on your own. God could do that to you through the priesthood. That's a possibility for your life and it would be a life that would be worth living. And I think that, that we haven't inspired that type of imagination in a lot of our young people either. No, and I think we're at that point because I think especially with some of the harder aspects of all things new, people are recognizing wow, what, wouldn't it be great if we had a priest to be able to support this parish? Wouldn't it be great if we had more disciples to fill these pews and to be a, a vibrant community once again? We're, we're not at that spot right now, and it's going to be a little tight for the next couple of decades. But I think if we look now and reimagine it with great creativity and grace how we can spread the love of God, God will bless us abundantly with fruitful disciples who will be listening to his call and he will call more men and he will call more women to priesthood and religious life respectively. And the best part about my ministry is when I get to sit across the table with a young discerner and I get to hear their story. And oftentimes it's similar to mine, but there's a lot of unique ones too, where it's like, wow, you kind of went through a rough patch there, but the grace is so evident now. And Tell me how you are journeying towards the Lord. And they articulate their desire to enter seminary. And it, should there not be anything barring them from taking that next step, it's so great to look at my future brother priests and to be able to walk with them and kind of an auxiliary role as they're entering into seminary. But uh, to be able to say sometimes, uh, as the bishop asked, do you know them to be worthy? And say, after inquiry among the Christian people, we know them to be worthy. Imagine your wife saying that or hearing that at your wedding. Yeah. So it's a little intimidating, but I, I think it's just a great, great gift that we have to be able to have more and more discerners and just the openness to God's call. Yeah. And I, I have a lot of hope, you know, Yeah. because um, I, I see the guys that have responded generously um, that have been ordained and the guys that responded generously that are in seminary. Now I was just over at the seminary, uh, last month doing a formation session with some guys and it was just really fun. Like it was really fun. I was like, can I come back and do this again tomorrow? Like, cause I'm enjoying myself as much as they were too. And there really is just a great, uh, joy filled spirit of, of the guys who are soaking it in and just learning and, and had a lot of great questions too about evangelization. So I, I'm really hopeful that, um, really the Lord, you know, um, is, is just going to send us this abundant harvest and we got to keep doing our part too, which is planting the seeds, you know, you're here. 
Here, here. So as we uh, wrap up our time together here today, uh, we always try to leave people with some practical tips around evangelization. So um, kind of related to maybe, you know, our conversation on pastoral creativity or a little bit on vocations. Is there anything just practically you could encourage people to do in their day to day lives uh, that would help kind of, again, plant the seeds for evangelization or maybe even talk about some of that fruitfulness too? Oh, be kind. Just be, be kind to everyone. I think in, in the world, we just have so much hurt. And to just be kind really does transform it. Because what is the reason for your kindness? It's Jesus and the love that he has for you. And as you're working through your stuff and you're allowing him to accompany you in it, your kindness will speak far more than any apologetics or any proselytization or any sort of zinger that you might be able to share at someone about the Bible or about the church teaching. Your kindness will be the thing that will transform the face of the earth. That's, that's what I would say. And then as far as vocations goes too, like plant the seed. Yes. Right? Don't be afraid to ask the question. And okay, the guy that's praying in church at daily mass has probably thought about a vocation. So I'm going to tap him on the shoulder either way. Yeah. You just I'm be scared, like, scared. you know, do like do a little bit. Hey, I'm praying for you. You know, you're, you're good. Uh, but, but I think it's the, the men that you know in your life, the young men, you don't have to bombard them. But I think if the moment's right, just say there's something about you that's special. I just hope that you're open to the possibility of being a priest. I'll pray that you'll be able to find clarity and peace. That That's all it is. And then maybe if you're able to accompany them, and I think this is a privileged moment, so if you don't know someone real well, this isn't really for you. But if you're a close, maybe confidant or, or could be a mentor to somebody, take them out to breakfast and just give them space to talk and ask tough questions. If you're a priest listening, Brothers, I think part of what's so amazing about vocation ministry is hearing the brother priest say, hey, I got a live one. This this is a great guy. And you can eat, just hear it in their voice or, or when we meet in person and just to like hear how excited they are that this guy might potentially be a future priest of ours, a brother. Um, great. Just, just facilitate that conversation because I'm not assigned to your parish, but possibly might be able to help a guy uh, across the finish line. Uh, and what's that finish line? It's heaven. So yeah, kind of journey. It's a there. good finish line. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, as we're at the finish line of our pot, oh man, that was good. It was really it was good. a great transition. Um, would you maybe uh, just take us out in a, in a prayer? Be happy to. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Loving God, thank you for this space and thank you for this time. And thank you for our listeners. We thank you for the fruit of our diocese, and we ask that you might continue to give us your great hope, that you might help us, whether in abundance or scarcity, to place our trust in you. And we ask in a special way, as we are about the work of evangelization, that you might help us to remember that we are sharing the love that we have from you with others. Give us your hope and your clarity in how to do these things. We ask this blessing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go and make disciples. Thanks be to God. <laughs> <laughs>